All right. Good morning, Reach Church. So, uh, if kids are heading out to Reach Kids, they can go ahead and leave now. All right. And for everyone else, uh, please join me in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the king of the world, that you are the savior of many peoples, you are a savior of every tribe and tongue and nation. And Father, I thank you that we can worship in, the, in every tongue, that every tribe has found reasons to worship you and to, to proclaim your name and to glorify you. And Father, we ask that, that we might proclaim you with great joy and, and reverence and awe. And Father, as we look at worship this morning, I ask that you would help us uh, to have hearts of, of deep and profound and joyful worship. That as we see Jesus Christ, we may be filled with a desire to, to honor and glorify you. So Father, would you use your word? Would you speak by the Spirit? Would you change our hearts and would you convict us? And Father, would you give us greater joy in our worship? We pray in Christ's precious name. Amen. All right. So, uh, we are in the midst of a series called Everyone Needs a Friend. And today we're talking about how everyone needs a worshiper. So, everyone needs someone to help them worship, to teach them to worship. And so that's going to be what we're looking at today. Now, why do we need help in our worship? Well, first of all, we have the priority of worship, that everything about the Christian life is meant to be done in worship. That every act of obedience, every act of service, is supposed to be an act of worship unto God. And so we're actually created for that very purpose. We are created in the image of God that we might reflect God by worshiping Him. That is our highest calling. That's actually not just our highest calling, that's our greatest joy. And that if we live in a culture that is holistically obsessed with joy and with pleasure, with fun, then we as believers in God need to understand worship because worship is the source of all joy, of all beauty, of all pleasure. And we need to learn to worship God in a culture like ours and teach others to do the same. That actually in, in hoarding worship or in misunderstanding worship, we don't have anything to offer to our culture that's desperately looking for someone to worship and enjoy. But I think we need this as a campus. We need to understand how to worship. Because worshiping is hard. That at the root of sin is a failure of worship and a struggle to worship. And if you are like me, worship doesn't come naturally. That maybe, maybe sometimes you worship in a way that's, that's self-conscious or fearful. Maybe you worship in a way that's kind of fickle and your joy goes up and down. Maybe when you worship, you struggle to, to really feel anything, to feel any sense of awe or, or greatness or appreciation for God. Or maybe, maybe you just don't really care that much. We need to learn to worship. And we need someone to help us worship. And that's why today we're looking at David. We're looking at King David 
perhaps one of the greatest worshipers in all of history. That he's the writer of so many of the Psalms. He's a man who's after God's own heart. That he understood the heart of God and delighted in the heart of God and loved worshiping him. And so today we're going to be looking at David and learning how to worship. And actually David learns in this story too. There's no one who is perfect at this. David has to learn to worship in this story. And then he goes on to teach the people how to worship in turn. So we're going to be turning to 2 Samuel 6. 2 Samuel 6. And through this passage, we're going to see uh, three contrasts. Three contrasts. I'll let you turn there so you're not distracted. 2 Samuel 6. I shouldn't have told you. You guys all switched there. And I don't know. All right, 2 Samuel 6. And as we go through this passage, I want us to see three things. Actually, three, three pairs of things. Three contrasts. First, you're going to see that worship is always an expression of two things. It's an expression of joy and fear. An expression of joy and fear. That it requires sacrifice and celebration. And that it brings with it both scorn and honor. Worship is always, is always found in contrasts. And so we're going to look at these sets of contrasts and see how it actually deepens and empowers our worship. So, we're going to start with talking about how worship is both an expression of joy and fear. Let's jump into chapter 6, verse 1. David again gathered all of the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of the Lord of the God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah, Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. All right, so this passage has to do with the Ark of the Covenant. You probably all know Ark of the Covenant from Indiana Jones, so I don't need to describe it. That's as good a rendering as you're going to get. Um, so it's a golden box, golden box, and on it are two cherubim, two angels, and in the midst of that, in the middle, between these two angels, is what's called the mercy seat. The mercy seat. And the mercy seat is where God's special divine presence is, is on the earth. That he dwells with his people at this specific location. The omnipresent, eternal, all-powerful God is dwelling with his people in this very specific location between the cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant. This is a big deal, the Ark of the Covenant. But, as we're seeing in this passage, the Ark of the Covenant has been cast off. And it's been relegated to the house of Abinadab. Because no one else wanted the Ark. They'd abandoned it for fear of it. And so, David comes. David has just been newly appointed king. He just defeated the Philistines and kind of as his first act as king, 
He is going to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. He's going to bring it to the capital, to the public place, so that everyone can be in the presence of God when they come to every festival and every feast. He's going to bring it back to the city of David. And when he does, he does so with great joy. He does so with great joy. That to be in the presence of God demands joy. That this is a God of, of glory and beauty and majesty. And they joyfully celebrate with, with music, with every instrument that they can think of. There is great joy. Now, we have to ask ourselves, is our worship characterized by joy? Now, if our whole lives are, are supposed to be characterized by worship, is, is your life characterized by joy? If someone came into our congregation, would they say that our worship, corporately, is characterized by joy? It must be. And David and his men, they seem to understand that. But, there's a problem. There's a problem. All right, there's a sense of foreboding in this passage building. And if you notice something, something, an odd little detail, the house of Abinadab was on a hill. And they put the, they put the ark on a brand new cart. No, they don't give it an old cart. Well done for them. A brand new cart on a hill with the ark on top of it. All right, this, this is a setup for, for a disaster. Verse 6. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it. For the oxen stumbled, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. Ugh. All right, so they're, so like, they're having the big party. They're all celebrating, and Uzzah gets struck dead on the spot. Why? Because the ark was falling... And he, he put out his hand to stabilize it. And he is struck down. And in that moment, this, this joyful, happy time is cut short. There is no more joy. And we realize that the worship of God and to be in the presence of God is not just a matter of joy. It's a matter of extreme danger as well. That this is not just a, a happy, fun God. That this is a holy God. And even the slightest of errors, of which Uzzah, Uzzah he, he had no malintent in his heart. He didn't want the ark to fall, so he touches it. And yet he is cast down dead. And at that moment, they learned that the worship of God is not just a matter of joy. It's also a matter of fear. And that because God is holy, he gives his people laws. Laws to protect them from God himself. And one of the laws was, you don't touch the ark. Because this is God's holy presence on the earth. And a holy and perfect divine God when he comes in contact with unholy, sinful 
impure people, they don't mix well. And in fact, the holiness of God destroys anything unholy before it. And Uzzah is struck down. And that's why there's a second rule. There's a second rule here that God put into the details. You don't put the ark on a cart. Very specific. No, you, what you do, you guys all know this from, the, from Indiana Jones. You know better. Um, no, you, there, there's, there's holes on the side. And you're supposed to stick poles on it. And then they can carry it and it's stable. They're supposed to carry it that way. So then they never have to touch it. They're protected from the holiness of God. There's one little rule. They neglect that one little rule and the worship of God is destroyed. There is no joy left. Alright, this is serious business. And how does the man after God's own heart respond to this? Verse 8. David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah and that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day, the perishing of Uzzah. Now, why is David angry? Is he angry at Uzzah? No. He's angry at God. He's angry at God because God spoiled the party. And that's where we, we look into this and we see, we see David's heart. And we see that actually, maybe this joy wasn't as deeply seated as it should have been. And we see that David actually was, was kind of self-consumed here. That he was the king. And he just defeated the Philistines. And he was going to, as the king, restore the worship of God. And he was going to be known as the man after God's own heart. And he was going to have this great day, a great introduction to his kingship, that he would be known as the man who restored the joy of Israel and the worship of God. And we see that David's heart was after, in some senses, his own worship and his own honor. That he was excited about his kingship more than he was excited about God's. And this incident with Uzzah, it reminds him. It reminds him that this is not a God to be used or a God to be trifled with. This is a holy God. This is a fearsome God. And this is a God that is worshipped for his holiness. And it forces us to ask the question, when we worship, do we worship for our sake or for God's? Are we worshipping because we happen to be happy at the time? Or because life is going good? Or do we worship because God is good? And because of his character. We, we wonder, and, and we see how fickle we are. That sometimes we can't worship if we don't like the song. We can't worship if we didn't have a good day. We can't worship if our day off was ruined by something that we weren't anticipating. That this joy that we think we have in God is maybe more of a joy that we have in our circumstances. And in the things that God is giving us, not so much in God himself. David, David had to realize that. 
And he saw that the worship of God is not just about joy, it's about fear as well. Look at verse 9. And David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? Verse 10, So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David, but David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. All right. David stops worshiping. He doesn't want to be in the presence of God. And that's where it's hard to hold the joy of worship and the fear of God together as one. That oftentimes, we try to embrace the joy and the fear of God keeps coming in and destroying our worship and reminding us that we are, we are not good enough that we have no right to stand in the presence of God. That God is too holy for us to be in his presence. And what happens is we start to pull away. Maybe we, we stop reading the word. We stop praying to him. Maybe we just kind of emotionally cut off a bit. We separate ourselves. We stop singing as intently as a, as a way of protecting ourselves. That if, if life can't simply be a joyful worship, then it kills worship altogether. And we see this, that worship must involve both joy and fear together. And I'd ask you, are you more of a joy person or more of a fear person? There's always one, you're always one or the other. And the problem is that these two groups hate each other and they fight with each other. That worship wars are battled over these things. Like, we want happy songs and like, we want deep emotional songs and, and no one can get along. The thing is, we have to have both. You have to have both. Without the fear, you're not even recognizing who God really is. It's superficial. You're not taking it for, for the, the gravity. But without joy, it's not even worship anymore. It's just fear. And God is not glorified at all. And so we have to have both. And we have to actually appreciate each other. That the joy people need to appreciate the fear people. Because they, they force the joy people to go deeper. And to see where their joy is rooted. And the, the fear people need that. Which, which one did I do already? I'm going to get lost. Um... The other one needs the other one. Um, <laughs> uh, what do I do? Steve, help me out. Joy, fear. Fear people. Fear people. Fear people need joy because that's the heart of worship. They need, to, they need to be challenged that you need to go beyond your fear and enjoy this God who is beautiful. Otherwise, you're just as terrified as a demon would be and, and that's not worship. That's just fear. That that alone is, is not pleasing. We need each other. All right. We can't let these two dichotomies kill worship. David, for a time, let it kill their worship. We can't let the fear of the Lord kill our worship. We can't let kind of these fickle joys kill our worship. And so, unfortunately, David hasn't learned that lesson. He stops worshiping. But, but... Verse 12. 
It was told King David, the Lord has blessed the household of, Ed- of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David sees that there is great blessing in the presence of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. So he's determined to lead the people in worship, but this time he's going to do it a little differently. And he's going to do it by bringing two things with him this time. First time, he's bringing sacrifice this time. And he's also bringing a, a deeper sense of celebration. So first, he brings sacrifice. Verse 13. When those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. Every six steps, David adds a lot of sacrifice to the mix here. Now, as we imagine this scene, it starts to get pretty gory. The, the path that the ark is taking is, is kind of literally lined with blood. The blood covers this whole scene. And we ask, why, why so much sacrifice? Why does it look like this? And the thing is, David has learned he has learned that worship involves the fear of the Lord. And he has seen that if anyone is going to stand in the presence of God, it's only going to be through sacrifice. That every sinful person in this congregation needs to be cleansed with blood and washed with blood. He needs someone to, to appease this God who is so holy that they might not be destroyed by him. And anyone seeing this scene would have been, had no question that this is a God who is holy and who is powerful and who is not to be trifled with. And a God who is so fearsome that they need to be constantly covered in sacrifice. As we come to the presence of God, as we come to worship, do we recognize our need for sacrifice? That if you are standing in the presence of God, you're in danger. You have no right to be there unless you are there cleansed by the blood. That we're kind of willy-nilly with this whole, oh yeah, I'm always in the presence of God. God is everywhere. That's a dangerous thing. To pray, to sing, you are in danger. Do you have a sacrifice? But there's a second thing that David brings. Verse 14. David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. There's some terrible words in this one. Sorry. <laughs> Ephods and edoms. And, uh, <laughs> all right. So the, this second, second, second aspect. He brings like real heartfelt celebration. I like kind of shying away. He, he Brings dancing into the situation. There was no dancing before. Now he's, he's dancing his butt off. All right. And why is David dancing? I think his heart is in a very different place this time. His heart is in a different place because he has learned the fear of the Lord. And we see this, an outer reflection of, of his heart change by what he's wearing. He's wearing a linen ephod. 
All right, first off, what is a linen ephod? Um, it's not his underwear. Just that's like oftentimes what it's depicted as. It's not his underwear. Um, it's like a very, very simple tunic um, that the priests wore. So when Samuel first becomes a priest, they give him a linen, linen ephod. Like that's a uniform. Now, who cares? Um, who cares? <laughs> this is important, I promise. Um, all right. Before, before David would have been wearing his, his royal robes. And he would have looked like the king. And he would have been leading as the, the triumphant king, leading his people back to, back to the worship of God. This time, he would have looked like everyone else. Every other priest would have been dressed in a linen ephod. This time, it's not about David. This time, this is not a spectacle and a show for David. This time, it's about God. And he strips away all the things that, that would make his worship self-centered and self-focused and self-consumed. And he, he loses himself in worship. That he's a worshiper first and a king second. That God gets to be the real king. And David's gonna not, not going to let anything interfere with that. He's worshiping God as, as someone who doesn't deserve to be there. That before he was entitled. And here, he recognizes, no, he's... He's there because of the sacrifice. He has no right to stand in the presence of God. None of them do. And he's there for the sheer joy of it. And so we see that actually the sacrifice and the fear and the death doesn't ruin his worship. It empowers it. It humbles him. It makes him see that, that he has a greater reason to worship because God is truly holy. And that God is gracious to let him even stand as part of the party. And the fact that he has a relationship with this God of grace and mercy and beauty and majesty is worth not just singing about, but, but dancing and rejoicing and, and going crazy about. That sacrifice reinforces the celebration and the dancing. Now, what am, I, what am I asking you to do? Uh, are we starting a dancing ministry here? No, we're not. Um, <laughs> you have full permission to dance, by the way. Um, that's not heresy. That's actually, that's good biblical exegesis. You're allowed to dance. Um, most of you don't want to dance. I understand that. Ellie's not, Ellie's not going to get up here and start dancing. Um, I recognize that. Um, but... That should be a challenge for us. It should be a challenge that there should be this deep, full-bodied overflow of joyful worship. Now, I recognize that most of you, when you are that joyful, don't dance anyway. So, that wouldn't make sense. But some of you do. And for those of you who do, you should be dancing. Whatever expresses your joy in the Lord, you should be doing that you are called to that. And, 
And the deeper you understand the sacrifice that it requires for you to be in the presence of God and have that joy, the more joyful you should be and the more you should be dancing in your heart, however that looks on the outside. All right. But, but I recognize that for some of you, that's not the reason why you don't dance. So that, that's where we get to, get to the second, the last, last point. This kind of worship brings with it two things. Scorn and honor. Scorn and honor. Verse 16. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. She despised him in her heart. So there is this, these eyes from above coming down and, and judging David. Now, why did she despise him in her heart? I think she, she gives some indications later. Um, she is a, ma a woman of great honor. She is a woman of distinction. She is the daughter of a king. She is the wife of a king. That she is used to glory and honor. She is used to the attention and the worship being on her. And there's a sense in which you can tell she, she likes that. And to see her husband cast off that honor and give it to another, she hates it. Because she wants the glory that her husband has. She wants it she wants him to be honorable, that she might be honorable, that that's just the dynamic. But I think it's, it's probably more than that. Um, we, we hate certain worshipers. We despise them in our hearts because we are convicted. And we are probably all, we've all been like Michael at some point. That we have seen the person dancing. We have seen the person raising their hands. We've seen the person shouting. And we have despised them in our hearts. Not because they're doing anything wrong. Not because they're doing anything unscriptural. But because we aren't doing that. And we don't want to. And we would feel too embarrassed to. And we do not have that joy. And instead of admitting that our hearts are not full of worship, we despise the person whose is. Maybe you see the person who is, who is serving, who is sacrificing, who is loving people, and you immediately start to say, start to judge them or assume the worst about them. It's the same concept that we realize we don't love people as, as we're supposed to. And they're showing us that and we can't deny it. And instead of admitting that in our hearts, we, we despise them in our hearts. That's, that's our worship problem. But David, David, thankfully, he's very unaware. He's, he's doing his own thing. He's ministering the household of God. So verse 17. As they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it, and David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. When David had finished offering the burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people. 
the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed, each one to his house. So David blesses the household of God. And then he goes to his own household. Verse 20. And David returned to bless his household. But Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. So she comes out and accuses David of vulgarity, of impropriety. And the thing is, we, we wonder, like, is she right? Is that actually what David's doing? Is he doing something shameful? Is he doing something evil even? And I think we have to be careful with Michaels. They tend to shape the story in a way that, that is very unflattering and often just untrue. That we, we call out the people who worship outward and we're, oh, they're, they're showy, they're boastful. Like, no, maybe that's our heart saying that. Maybe that's not actually what it is. That's, that seems to be what it is with Michael. That David hasn't shamed himself in any real way. He's maybe shamed himself as a king to take off his royal robes. But he hasn't done anything wrong. And David, he doesn't defend himself. What does he say? David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, and I will celebrate before the Lord. What is he essentially saying? He's saying, I don't care whose eyes I performed in front of. I wasn't before them. I wasn't dancing for them. I was dancing for God. I was dancing before the Lord. And it was his eyes I was concerned about. Not yours up in the window. Not the servant girls. I was concerned about the eyes of the Lord. And he was going to dishonor himself that he might honor the Lord God. That God had honored him and he was going to honor God right back. That he had been chosen by this Lord and he knew he was nothing. He was just a poor shepherd. He didn't have any honor for himself but what God had given. And what he's saying is, I'll give it all back. Because God deserves to be honored as king, not me. He continues, verse 22. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And Michael... Oh, we'll stop there. Uh, so what's the, the, the irony here? The irony is that the servant girls, they don't see David as any less. They honor David as a result. Why? Why do they honor David because of his, his ridiculousness? These servant girls, they're not just servant girls, they're the servant girls of servants. They're the lowest of low. And what these women have realized is that they're never going to get any honor for themselves. 
only honor they're ever going to get is by serving someone greater. That that is the real source of honor and glory. And when those servant girls see David dancing, they see that David understands that. That there is a glory that you can get for yourself or there's a glory in serving another. And that David, David is seeking the glory found in honoring God, not in honoring himself. That ironically, the one who honors another is honored in turn. If you honor God, he'll honor you. But Michael, the one who honors herself, she is ashamed in the end. Verse 23, And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. That she is abased in the eyes of the Lord. That she is cast down. That in hoarding this glory and honor for herself, she finds none from God. Now what do we do with that? Stop looking at other people. Stop judging other people for how they worship. It doesn't concern you. That is God's job. And we are all worshiping before the Lord. Now there's, a, there's another side of that which is be free. Be free to worship. I don't care if you sing bad. We, in the eyes of people, maybe they'll think that you're a terrible singer. And you know what? You'll be more contemptible than this. That you'll be humiliated in the eyes of men and before the eyes of God, you will be received as, as a true worshiper. And you'll be honored. If you sing off-key, if you sing too loud, if you do that thing where you like shout the, the lyrics before they're supposed to, that's always fun and you feel awkward. Um, no one cares. You shouldn't care. Because God doesn't care. Be free from the eyes of people. And the people who are actually worshiping the Lord, they'll honor you as well. It's only the people who are the Michaels who are going to judge you and their judgment is on their own heads. You don't need to worry about it. Have freedom to worship. And that's where maybe, maybe your heart isn't right and you, you don't have this great joy because you don't understand the sacrifice, but maybe, maybe you're just people pleasing and scared of people and, and David would call you to be more contemptible. To be scorned in the eyes of men and honored in the eyes of God. Alright. How are you doing at worship? Are you good at worshiping? Are you full of joy? Are you full of the fear of the Lord? Are you ready to be scorned by the world and... Have you offered your sacrifice? Are you celebrating and dancing? The answer to the question is, is no. No. None of us are. And that's where there's great oppression in this, ser this sermon if you'd say, I need to be like David. Even David isn't that good. David needs to be better than David was. And that's where 
we are not called to be David. That Jesus was called to be David. Jesus was called to be the worship leader. David was called to be the one who leads us in this kind of worship. And you know what? Jesus did it a lot better than David did. That Jesus, Jesus was the king. But he didn't come in his royal robes. He came in a meat suit, in a tunic, and he looked like all the rest of us. And when he came, he taught us the fear of the Lord. The Sermon on the Mount, that is the fear of, fear of God given to every one of us. And what he did, he exposed our hearts and he said, you know why you really worship? You worship to be worshipped. You worship to be honored in the eyes of men. You worship so that you feel good with God and you feel like he's in your corner. Jesus came to, to convict us and show us that our worship is totally broken. He, he taught us how to fear God. And then he became the sacrifice. The blood of oxen and the fattened animal, that is Jesus. That Jesus went to the mercy seat, to the Ark of the Covenant, the one that's in heaven, not the one on earth. And he bled. And he sacrificed himself. And he offered his blood to cleanse us. That we might stand in the presence of God and not be destroyed. Not be destroyed for our sin. He cleansed us and made us perfect before him. So that we don't have to fear the Lord anymore. We can recognize that he is holy and that we deserve to be destroyed, but he is holy and we are holy in his sacrifice. That's what, that's what we remember in communion. That the blood of Christ has washed us clean. And if we stand before the Lord, if we're ever in his presence, it's not because of us. It's because the blood of Jesus has washed us clean. And I like the symbolism that you don't, it's not just washing on the outside. We don't pour the wine on ourselves. We drink it. We are cleansed from the inside out by the blood of Jesus. Made pure, made perfect before him. And when Jesus came, Jesus came to be scorned and despised. That he was abased in the eyes of men so that he might worship the Lord. And he didn't even get a linen ephod. He was naked on the cross. Naked and ashamed and scorned. But he was honored in the eyes of God. So he embodies. He embodies the, the fear and the sacrifice and the scorn of worship. But then in the resurrection, he also represents the joy and the celebration and the honor. That when Jesus rose from the dead, he ensured that we can now worship him in joy. That we have the privilege of, of worshiping this God who is beautiful and who is majestic and who, who is gracious to us and allows us to be in his presence. Because he gave his son. We don't come because of our works. We come because of what Christ has done for us. And we are perfect in God's sight through Christ. And we are reminded over and over that we were chosen by God to be princes in Christ. That we are princesses and princesses and princes. 
Not because of ourselves, but because we are chosen by God. He honored us in Christ. And that's why we honor God in turn. Because of what he has done for us in Jesus. Amen. So, follow Jesus. Follow your worship leader. Follow him in, in joy and fear and sacrifice and celebration. Be scorned and be honored by God. Worship through Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you've allowed us to worship. That you've made a way for us to worship. That we would be crushed without Jesus Christ, who is crushed for us. And Father, as we drink this cup and, and eat this bread, Father, I ask that we would celebrate. That we'd have much joy. That yes, this is the blood of Christ washed over and making us clean, but it is also, it is also the wedding supper of the Lamb that we celebrate that, that we will be with you forever. We with you in perfect peace and joy and hope forever because of what Christ has done for us. Father, would you give us greater fear and joy and would that give us greater worship? We pray in Christ's name. Amen.